Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bookish Babbles, the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them. I'm your host, Allison, and without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to episode 12 of Bookish Babbles. Hope I got that right. That's what I wrote down. Uh, Today we are talking about the first three chapters of The Hunger Games. Woo! Uh, We're finally out of Coriolanus's shitty head and we're... We get to be with Katniss now, our favorite girl on fire. Woo! Also, if this is your first time listening to Bookish Babbles, hello! Welcome! I'm glad you're here. Um, I do just want to give you... A heads up, uh, this is a reread podcast, so I'm liable to mention things that happen later in the series, and I will also be mentioning events and characters from The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is, of course, the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy. So if you don't want to be spoiled for that book, I recommend reading it or going back and listening to all my ballad episodes. And if you don't care about spoilers, uh, that's good too. Glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, so I'm sure everyone and their mom knows about the Hunger Games. Uh, it's the book where, you know, all the kids are forced to fight to the death on live TV in front of the whole nation. Uh, we were all horrified by the concept, but then fell in love with all the characters, except for Gail. Screw you, Gail. Um, I was first introduced to this book by my eighth grade English teacher. Uh, shout out to Mr. Andre. Thank you for telling us about this book and telling all of us to read it. Um... Like, every so often, like, about once a, once a semester or something, um, for class, Mr. Andre would take all of us down to the school library and recommend all these different books for us to read, and The Hunger Games was one of them. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, I'm never gonna read that. <laughs> well, joke's on past me, because here I am, dedicating multiple podcast episodes to this book series. And... Then a couple months later, I was with my friends at the movies. Um, I have no idea which movie we were seeing at the time, but the point is, uh, during that time, we saw the trailer for the first Hunger Games movie, and I think I said, like, wait, that's the book Mr. Andre told us about. Um, So then I asked for all the books because I started seeing them everywhere, and that year for Christmas, my aunt gave me uh, the box set with the whole series because Mockingjay had recently come out. Thank you, Kimmy. So then by January and like February of of, uh, 2012, I read the whole series, screamed, cried, all that fun stuff, Um, saw the first movie in in theaters, uh, then all the movies in theaters, um, I got The Hunger Games on DVD and I watched it over and over and over again, same thing with Catching Fire, and you know, then the fandom went quiet after Mockingjay Part 2 came out. Then years later, Ballad was announced, and that reawakened the fandom a bit, at least uh, for me. I reread the whole series, read Ballad when it came out, read it a few more times, and now here I am making a podcast that gives me an excuse to reread the whole series again. And now I just have a whole new, like, deeper love and appreciation for the series and all these characters. And speaking of things that I love... um, Heartstopper, the series just came out on Netflix, so everyone go watch it because it's like my, it's like the best thing ever. And I mean, I knew I was gonna love it because I've read the graphic novel series; it's one of my absolute favorites. But this is one of the most well done adaptations I've ever seen for any kind of book. Everyone was perfectly cast. I love the tone of the show. I could not stop watching it, and I'm probably gonna rewatch it again very, very soon, much like I did with Shadow and Bone when that one came out. So, good job, Netflix. Um, so yeah, everyone go watch, watch or read or do both, uh, Heartstopper. Support Alice Oseman because she's one of the best creators ever. So anyway, uh, with all that being said, um, I should stop talking about my personal history and Heartstopper and we should just dive into the first Hunger Games book. So we open, um, with part one, the tributes, and we're going to start with what else but a brief reading because this is one of my favorite opening lines in any book. When I wake up, the other side of the bed is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas cover of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with our mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. 
I swear I get chills every time I read that. Also, I think this is the perfect way to open the book. Right away, um, it establishes like this sense of dread. Like, say you didn't read the synopsis on the back of the book or even know what The Hunger Games was, but you do know like that the reaping is just something really, really bad. And Katniss um, isn't surprised that Prim had nightmares and got up at some point in the night to, you know, crawl into bed with, with their mother. So our main character, Katniss, wakes up and she introduces us to the rest of her family who are currently asleep on the other side of the room. Um, her mother, whose name we never learn, and her little sister, Primrose, a.k.a. Prim. Um, sitting on the bed by Prim's knees is what Katniss describes as the world's ugliest cat. Um, the cat is described as having a matched nose, half of one ear missing, and eyes the color of rotting squash. And Prim named the cat Buttercup, and Katniss hates him. Uh, their relationship reminds me of the one that my dad has with our dog, Ray. Because, um, you know, my dad does a typical dad thing. He goes on and on about how he hates her, calls her the worst dog ever. And, you know, while she can be a pain at times, um, like, you know, when she takes up way too much space on the bed, she's still adorable and I love her. And so does my dad. I've caught him cuddling her and giving her food when he thinks no one's watching. Though, Buttercup has pretty legitimate reasons to dislike Katniss since Katniss attempted to drown him because she didn't want another mouth to feed and Buttercup only survived by the grace of God or in this case uh, because Prim begged Katniss not to kill the cat uh, but now Katniss and Buttercup beautifully tolerate each other uh, Buttercup occasionally catches rodents in the house and Katniss gives him entrails while she cleans her game and Buttercup no longer hisses at Katniss, so perfectly wholesome, healthy relationship that was founded on attempted murder. Anyway, uh, Katniss gets ready to go hunting, takes um, some goat cheese uh, Prim had left for her. And as she leaves, Katniss tells us that she lives in a part of District 12 called The Seam, um, where most of the coal miners live. And the streets are quiet since everyone has a mandatory day off because of the reaping. Also, very important detail, I think, uh, Katniss says that her, that her family's house is at the edge of the seam, which is the same location where the Covey lived in Ballad. So, this contributes to the theory that Katniss is descendant of Covey. Specifically, I think she's Maud Ivory's granddaughter. Um, so Katniss goes to the meadow and ha has to go through the fence to get to the woods, a fence that was not there 65 years ago. Um, it's supposed to be electrified 24-7, but District 12 only has electricity for a few hours in the evening. And once she's in the woods, Katniss uh, retrieves her bow and arrow that she keeps hidden uh, there since, you know, District 12 citizens aren't allowed to have weapons. Uh, Katniss mentions that without uh, electricity, the fence uh, still protects District 12 from the stuff in the woods like, you know, flesh eaters, you know, bears and stuff. And she also lists a few other hazardous things things out there and the first thing she says is venomous snakes well Katniss uh you'll definitely have to deal with some snakes in the near future just not the literal kind so anyway Katniss tells us um that she learned how to hunt and find food from her father who tragically died when she was 11 in a mining explosion on page five um she says that five years later I still wake up screaming for him to run that one line just makes me so sad because you know, Katniss is obviously a very strong character. We know this. Um, even here at the very beginning of the book, she's the breadwinner of her family. She takes care of them. Um, yet she still has nightmares about losing her father. And because underneath all that, she's still a girl who lost her dad. And like she's already been through enough, yet there are so many more worse things coming for her. Ugh. Anyway. I need to move past these first few pages. Uh, we get a little more exposition about life in District 12, like how you know trespassing in the woods is illegal, poaching uh, results in severe penalties, though the peacekeepers turn a blind eye to those who hunt since they're usually some of the best customers. Then Katniss uh, speaks out loud for the first time with the iconic line, District 12, where you can starve to death in safety, which just pretty much sums up what it's like to live there. Though, as soon as 
she says it, uh, Katniss looks around to make sure no one had heard her say that because, as we know, Panem is run by a bunch of sensitive snowflakes, so Katniss can't risk being overheard saying something bad about them. And as a little girl, Katniss apparently um, used to say things that scared her mother to death because it would definitely offend the higher-ups. Um, so she learned to hold her tongue and not complain about things like food shortages, the reaping, or the Hunger Games. Um, she doesn't even talk about these things at home because she's afraid of Prim repeating uh, what she says. So she keeps walking and uh, meets someone in the woods. Who is it? The one, the only, the person who has one of the worst reactions to being put in the friend zone, Mr. Gail Hawthorne. Uh, spoiler alert, um, if it's not obvious already, I'm hardcore team PETA, and Gale just wastes all our time with his angst and bullshit. Anyway, uh, Gale's chilling by a berry bush, and I do really like the scene between them because they're acting like genuine friends who are just happy to see each other. Uh, plus they're in the woods and not being monitored, so they're much more relaxed, and apparently according to Gale, Katniss only ever smiles in the woods. And this is the first time uh, we hear him call her Catnip, wonderful nickname. Uh, it's a reference to the first time they met since when Katniss first told Gail her name, she'd spoken so quietly he thought she said Catnip. And so naturally he keeps calling her that. Uh, Gail shows her what he shot, which is a loaf of bread on an arrow. He's being funny. Uh, Katniss notes that it's real bakery bread. And normally they eat bread with what they make from their grain rations, which doesn't sound good because Katniss describes it as flat, dense loaves. And also, Gail got a great deal on the bread since it only cost him one squirrel. Uh, Mr. Malark was very generous on reaping day. Also, I don't personally subscribe to this theory, but there is a theory in the fandom, apparently, that I only learned from the into the arena podcast because they did a whole episode on it about how mr malark is actually prim's father and they mostly use the evidence that um one prim looks like someone from the merchant class and two because um because um it's noted in the gail mentioned something about how mr malark was probably feeling sentimental that day or whatever because you know it would in, if this theory were true it's the first time his daughter that he can't acknowledge um being raped i don't know i don't personally subscribe to that theory but it is kind of interesting anyway moving on so katniss and gail have fun banter mocking effie's accent saying the iconic line happy happy hunger games and may the odds be ever in your favor that was a terrible elizabeth banks's effie impression but it's what you got <laughs> uh gail throws a berry in the air katniss catches it in her mouth uh, they're basically just joking around as a way to cope because, you know, to do otherwise would mean spiraling into a pit of despair. Uh, we then get a little more ex exposition, like how she and Gail could pass as siblings since they look pretty similar. All the miners in the scene tend to look like them, you know, black hair, olive skin, gray eyes. And uh, her mother and Prim stick out because they have, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, since Mrs. Everdeen came from the wealthier merchant class, her family owned an apothecary shop. And then she moved to the scene when she married Mr. Everdeen. And, you know, Katniss tries to remember that about her mother, how much her mother really loved her father to move to the scene when she came from a wealthier background uh, in order to feel less resent resentful. Uh, then she and Gail eat food, walk around, and, you know, have a conversation. And I'm going to read that conversation, which starts on page 9. We could do it, you know, Gail says quietly. What? I asked. Leave the district, run off, live in the woods. You and I, we could make it, says Gail. I don't know how to respond. The idea is so... The idea is so preposterous. If we didn't have so many kids, he adds quickly. They're not our kids, of course, but they might as well be. Gail's two little brothers and a sister, Prim. And you may, you may as well throw our mothers... And you may as well throw in our mothers, too, because how would they live without us... Who would fill those mouths that are always asking for more? With both of us hunting daily, there are still nights when game has to be swapped for lard or shoelaces or wool. Still nights when we go to bed with our stomachs growling. I never want to have kids, I say. I might if I didn't live here, says Gail. But you do, I say irritated. Forget it, he snaps back. 
The conversation feels all wrong. Leave? How could I leave Prim, who is the only person in the world I'm certain I love, and Gail is devoted to his family? We can't leave, so why bother talking about it? And even if we did, even if we did, where did this stuff about kids come from? There's never been anything romantic between Gail and me. When we met, I was a skinny 12-year-old, and although he was only two years older, he already looked like a man. It took a long time for us to even become friends, to stop haggling over every trade and begin helping each other. So, I have like a personal theory that Katniss never truly developed any romantic feelings for Gail, ever, and she and she thought she did at one point because she felt like it was something that she was supposed to feel. And she makes it clear right here that she's never felt anything romantic for Gail before and, you know, they butt heads so easily so much. I wonder how long a serious relationship could last between them. Also, I've had a few close guy friends growing up and every time multiple people would quote-unquote ship me with them. Uh, you know, people just assumed we would eventually get together and every time it was really uncomfortable for me. And even though I was 100% sure I never felt anything romantic for them, part of me would still doubt because I did wonder if I was supposed to feel that way since everyone around me told me I should. Um, side note, I was more affectionate um, with my girlfriends than almost any of my guy friends, yet, you know, feelings toward my girlfriends were never questioned. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, um, stop shipping people who clearly just want to be friends. Characters, yes. Real people, no. It's uncomfortable for those on the receiving end. Trust me. So back to the story. Uh, Katniss and Gail decide to go fishing, notably at the lake. Sure, that's not an important location or everything. <clears throat> yes, it is. Um, they plan to have a nice dinner at home since it's reaping day. They're expected to treat it like a holiday. Though, most families just celebrate the fact that their children have been spared for another year. Um, after that, they go to the Hob, and while, they're, and while they're there, they go see one of their regulars, Greasy Say, who sells bowls of hot soup. Ugh, cough, cough, Lucy Gray. Um, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I talked about how I subscribed to the theory that Greasy Say could be Lucy Gray. Um, it could just be wishful thinking because, you know, Lucy Gray is my favorite character, and I'm sad she's not around for me to talk about anymore, but whatever, I'm gonna just keep talking about it. Anyway, so uh, Katniss and Gail always make sure to stay on good terms with Greasy Say since she can be counted on to buy more unusual meats like wild dog. Uh, she claims that once it's in the soup, uh, she calls it beef and no one cares. Uh, then they go to the mayor's house to sell strawberries since he obviously can be counted on to buy them because, you know, he has money by District 12 standards. Um, and we meet the best character who wasn't in the movie, Ma Madge Undersea, the mayor's daughter. And unlike Mayfair, Madge is actually a lovely person to be around. She minds her own business, doesn't bother other people, and she and Katniss are sort of friends. Um, like school friends, like, you know, as in they partner up for projects in school since they don't really hang out with anyone else. And both of them don't re really like to talk, so they get along great. It's a beautiful friendship between two introverts. Um, now, while Katniss and Madge are happy to see each other, Gail has to ruin it. You know, he makes a comment about Madge having a nice dress. She replies with, well, if I'm going to end up in the capital, I want to look nice, don't I? This is clearly meant to be a joke, but Gail still gets triggered. And kind of understandable, because, you know, the way the reaping system works is, like, you're eligible for the reaping, from age 12 to 18 and your first year your name goes in one time second year two times so on and so forth but you but um you can get food if you put your name in more times so Katniss like when she was 12 had her name in four times and then the next year double that and you know keep going onward so this year at when she's 16 her name is in 20 times and gail since he got you know food to cover him and his and his members of his family his name is in 42 times whereas madge only has to have her name in five times so it's understandable why he feels resentful about the whole thing but as katniss points out it's not madge's fault like we're not even 20 pages in but it's already clear that katniss has 
a much more is a much more empathetic person than Gale is. And Gale has a low-key ruthless streak. Like, it'll only get worse from here. So they split up the stuff that they have and they go home to get ready for the reaping. Uh, Prim and Mrs. Everdeen are ready to go. Prim is notably wearing Katniss's first uh, reaping outfit and the back keeps coming untucked, which Katniss tells her tells her to tuck in and calls her li- and she calls her little duck. Uh, Mrs. Everdeen gives Katniss one of her old dresses to wear. They eat a quick lunch and then they head to the town square where the reaping is held. Everyone is silent as they sign in all the 12 to 18 year olds. They get lined up. Uh, by the way, I totally forgot that in the book, like when all the kids are lined up, the youngest are toward the back and the oldest are up front. And in the movie, it's the other way around, but uh, that makes sense uh, since visually you need to see everyone. Plus, it's like the older you get, it's like the more times your name goes in, it's like the closer you are to the stage, closer to your death. I don't know, kind of a creepy detail. Anyway, so the ceremony now gets started. Uh, three, some important people are on stage, like uh, Madge's father, Mayor Undersea, Effie Trinket, uh, the escort from the Capitol. Um, Hamish will make his appearance soon. Um, District 12's only living victor that we know of. So May- Mayor Undersea starts by reading the same story of the history of Panem, which it and this is what they're told: Panem rose from. From the ashes of a country once called North America after a series of disasters destroyed it. Uh, the capital reigned over 13 districts. Districts rebelled. Capital won. District 13 was destroyed. Uh, this time, this period of time was known as the Dark Days. And to make sure the Dark Days are never repeated, the Hunger Games came about. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, the Dark Days are repeated. So that failed. And we know from a reading ballad that The Hunger Games was thought of by a drunk college student, but I doubt Katniss has ever told that in school. Uh, one boy and one girl from each each district forced to fight to the death, blah, 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 blah. Last one standing wins, you know the drill. We just read ballad. And just a very cruel way to remind people of the war, because despite the fact that most of the people alive weren't even a thought when the dark days happened so continuing the games is completely pointless just as pointless as it was 65 years ago anyway after the history recap mayor ends by reading the names of district 12 victors and i still want to know how much the citizens of 12 like are told about lucy gray like do they only have a name do they not care to know more i need to know anyway um, Hamish is currently very drunk and tries to give Effie a hug. She fends him off. Effie then goes up to the mic. Uh, her wig is a bit lop- is a bit lopsided. And before we take a break, I of course have to read the last page of the chapter because you know something very important happens. Through the crowd, I spot Gail looking back at me with a ghost of a smile. As reapings go, this one at least has a, sl- a slight entertainment factor. But suddenly I'm thinking of Gale and his 42 names in that big glass ball and how the odds are not in his favor. Not compared to a a lot of the boys. And maybe he's thinking the same thing about me because his face darkens and he turns away. But there are still thousands of slips I wish I could whisper to him. It's time for the drawing. Effie Trinket says, as she always does, Ladies first! And crosses to the glass ball with the girls' names. She reaches in, digs her hand deep into the ball, and pulls out a slip of paper. The crowd draws in a collective breath, and then you can hear a pin drop. And I'm feeling nauseous, and so desperately, hoping that it's not me, that it's not me, that it's not me. Effie Trinket crosses back to the podium, smooths the slip of paper, and reads out the name in a clear voice, and it's not me. It's Primrose Everdeen. Dun dun dun! I don't know why, but every single time, it's like, <gasps> Prim, no! But even, even though it's like, I've read this book so many times, everyone knows that Katniss volunteers for for Prim. It was in the trailer for the movie, but every single time, it's like, I get like that, oh no, feeling when I read the end of that chapter, which is so dumb, but that's how good it is. Anyway, it is now time for a break. When we come back, we'll talk about a very important and very iconic scene. 
Hi guys, it's Allison at a different point in time, and we are here with another random recommendations. So, this book isn't one that I've read, but uh, Gabby, who was on the podcast last week to talk with me about about Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, uh, she highly recommended this book, so I'm going to trust her judgment. I'm going to feature it on the podcast, and I believe this is getting some kind of TV adaptation or something, so good time to read it. Uh, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. So profoundly moving and gracefully told, Pachinko follows one Korean family through the generations beginning in early 1900s Korea with Sanwa, the prized daughter of poor yet proud family whose unplanned pregnancy threatens to shame them. Betrayed by her wealthy lover, uh, Soon Ja Fai finds unexpected salvation with a young tubercular minister off offers to marry her and bring her to Japan to start a new life. So begins the, a sweeping saga of exceptional people in exile from a homeland they never knew and caught in the indifferent arc of history. In Japan, Sunja's family members endure harsh discrimination, catastrophes, and poverty, yet they also encounter a great joy as they per- as they pursue their passions and rise to meet the challenges in this new home presence through desperate struggles and hard-won triumphs they are bound together by deep roots as their family faces enduring questions of faith family and identity so this is definitely a book i want to read very very soon um and th- and thank you, Gabby, for reminding me that this book exists and that I should read it. So with that being said, let's get back to the episode. All right, we're back. And Katniss is understandably in shock since her life just took a turn in a direction that she did not see coming. Um, she almost falls over, so someone has to steady her. And then naturally starts going into denial because you know what are the odds that prim actually gets chosen since when it comes to the being in the reaping prim is as safe as you can be her name's only in there one time and i'm gonna do another reading because you know this moment is just too iconic not to somewhere far away i can hear the crowd murmuring unhappily as they always do when a 12 year old gets chosen because no one thinks this is fair and then I see her, the blood drained from her face, hands clenched clenched in a fist at her sides, walking with stiff, small steps up toward the stage, passing me. And I see the back of her blouse has become untucked and hangs out over her shirt. It's the detail, the untucked blouse forming a ducktail that brings me back to myself. Prim! The strangled cry comes from my throat and my muscles begin to move again. Prim! I don't need to shove through the crowd. The other kids make way immediately, allowing me a straight path to the stage. I reach her just as she's about to mount the steps. With one sweep of my arm, I push her behind me. I volunteer! I gasp. I volunteer as tribute. So I think it's safe to say that this is probably the most well-known scene in the whole series and the most important since it kicks off, well, everything. Like, sometimes I think about how, like, if Effie had just picked a piece of paper, like, a little more to the left or something, like, things would be very different. Anyway, we were all obviously expecting Katniss to go into the arena. She's the main character. After all, that's expected. But I don't think everyone saw it happening this way. At least, you know, pre the movie coming out, we all saw the trailer of Katniss being like, I volunteer as tribute. Um... Because, like, Katniss, we were all, like, worried for her since, you know, her name was in so many times. And this was a great choice because uh, this makes Katniss a more a much more active protagonist, volunteering to go in. And, you know, makes it more compelling, her going in to save her sister rather than because she was forced to do it. Anyway, so Effie throws a minor fuss since Katniss uh, didn't exactly, like, follow the volunteer protocol. But the mayor tells her, doesn't matter. Uh, Prim is clinging to Katniss, screaming for her not to go. Katniss is trying really hard not to cry. Gail comes to take Prim away. And he's also just keep 
just managing to keep it together it's all very upsetting and like watching the scene in the movie like chokes me up every single time um Effie introduces Katniss to the crowd and thankfully no one applauses because you know no one approves of this and it's a terrible situation and then this is the first time they do the three finger salute which we've all seen um it's basically a sign of thanks like admiration and goodbye to someone you love and it's most commonly used at funerals which is kind of dark since you know Katniss is going into the hunker games very high chance she could die uh, then then Hamish swoops in to save Katniss from crying on stage by stumbling over uh, to her, putting an arm around her and saying, you know, she has spunk, pointing at the cameras like, she has more spunk than you and you and you. And then eventually stumbles and falls off the stage, as you do. This gives Katniss enough time to compose herself and Hamish is taken away on a stretcher since he knocked himself unconscious when he fell. Um, and now... Of course, after that entertain entertaining moment, uh, it's time to pick the male tribute. And I know I'm not the only one who thought Gail was going in with her the first time I read this book, because you know the first chapter really hammered in the idea of how Gail's the odds were not in Gail's favor because his name was in 42 times. Um, but it. And it's definitely, like, one of the biggest, like, what-if scenarios you can find in fanfiction. Like, uh, what if Gale did go into the arena with Katniss in the 74th games? But no, Gale's fine. And, and instead, we are introduced to one of the best fictional voice to ever grace the pages of a book, Mr. Peter Malark. Um, Katniss's immediate thought upon hearing that name is not him. And it's not because they're friends in any way at this point, but it's because she owes him. So when they were kids, Peta essentially saved her life when she and her family were starving to death. Um, after her father died, Katniss essentially lost both of her parents because her mother fell into a very deep depressive state and mentally abandoned her kids, forcing Katniss to become the new head of the family. But the money that the district gave them ran out. Mrs. Everdeen didn't find work and they were starving to death. Uh, one day, after failing to sell old baby clothes, a 11-year-old Katniss collapsed in front of the bakery that Peta's family owns. Uh, Mrs. Malark, who Katniss calls a witch, uh, yells at Katniss to get lost, and she's sick of kids stealing from her trash, which, by the way, this is like Mayfair level of horribleness. Like, imagine being angry at starving kids because they steal from your trash can. Like, who does that? Like, they don't even steal food that you're trying to sell. They're stealing from literal trash. Anyway, so sweet young 11-year-old Peta then purposely burns two loaves of bread, which results in his mother physically assaulting him. Um, she throws him outside, telling him to feed it for the pigs, because, you know, no one would buy burnt bread. But instead, he throws it to Katniss, and she takes the bread home. This saves Katniss and her family's lives, gives, them, gives her hope again. Um... She's able then to find, like, the will to keep going. She tries to think of some way to thank Peta, but years go by and she never gets around to it. Um, so back in the present day, Mayor reads the Treaty of Treason, as he's required to do every year. Katniss and Peta shake hands. Also, side note, it says on page 33 that when they shake hands, Peta gives, um, gives Katniss, like, what she thinks could be, like, a reassuring squeeze, but, but could just be a nervous spasm. Oh, how little you know about him, Katniss. Um, so, spoiler alert, I'm going to end up reading the end of a lot of chapters because if there's one thing that Suzanne is really good at in this series, it's ending chapters. Each one, like, makes you want to keep reading. So, with that being said, I'm going to read the last couple lines of the chapter. We turn back to face the crowd as the anthem of Pan Am plays. Oh, well, I think. There will be 24 of us. Odds are someone else will kill him before I do. Of course, the odds have not been very dependable of late. Alright, so with that being said, it's time for another break. When we, co when we come back, we'll talk about Chapter 3. Hello again, we're back with another random recommendation. This time it will be a book that I have read. Um, one that I read recently and really, really liked. Um, called The Overnight Guest, so I'm going to read the description that's on Goodreads. 
A woman receives an unexpected visitor during a deadly snowstorm in this chilling thriller from New York Times bestselling author Heather Gudenskull. I butchered that last name. I'm so sorry. Uh, she thought she was alone. True crime writer Wiley Lark doesn't mind uh, being snowed in at the isolated farm farmhouse where she's retreated to write her new book. A cozy fire, complete silence. It would be perfect if not for the fact that decades earlier at this very house, two people were murdered in cold blood and a girl disappeared without a trace. As the storm worsens, Wiley finds herself trapped inside the house, haunted by the secrets contained within its walls, haunted by secrets of her own. Then she discovers a small child in the snow just outside. After bringing the child inside for warmth and safety, she begins to search for answers, but soon becomes clear that the farmhouse isn't as isolated as she thought, and someone is willing to do anything to find them. So, really crazy book. I think I read it in, like, less than two days, and if you're someone who likes true crime, but you want, like, a fictional novel that's kind of like that, I highly, highly recommend this one. I need to kind of, I want to read more books by this author now. So, that being said, back to the episode. And we're back. So, the chapter opens with the two tributes being brought inside the Justice Building, and each of them go into a private room. And this is the time that they're allowed to say goodbye to their friends and family, which really consider the capital to do, you know? 23 out of the 24 tributes are going to die brutally, but hey, at least they can say goodbye to their loved ones first, right? So, so generous of them to do that. Read sarcasm, please. Um, so anyway, Katniss is alone in the room for a while, preparing herself because she's determined uh, not to leave crying because she doesn't want to be marked as an easy target since there will be cameras at the train station. Uh, Prim and Mrs. Everdeen come in first. Uh, they have a nice group cuddle. A really, really sweet Everdeen family moment. Uh, but then Katniss has to get down to business to defeat the Huns. I had to make that stupid joke. I'm so sorry. Uh, she starts telling them things that they'll need to do to survive since she won't be around to look after them anymore. So Prim is not allowed to take out any tesserae, which is, you know getting extra food for putting your name in more times um between prim selling cheese from her goat and mrs everdeen's small apothecary business that she runs in the seam they can get by if they're careful gail will bring them herbs and game and they should thank him with milk and medicine since you know both Cadis and gail made a pact that if one ever got reaped for the hunger games uh, the other would provide meat for both their families and katniss also knows that um there's no point in suggesting Prim learn to hunt since she tried to do that once and it was a disaster. Uh, basically, Prim scared of the woods and when Katniss did shoot a rabbit, Prim's immediate reaction was to take it home to heal it. Uh, then Katniss gives her mother the most important instruction, which is basically that no matter what, she cannot tune out again. No matter what they see on screen, she has to be there for Prim. And then Mrs. Everdeen says something really interesting. Uh, she tells Katniss that if she had had access to the medicine that she has now, she would have been able to, to take care of herself. And Katniss has seen her mother help people recover from immobilizing sadness, which is really impressive on Mrs. Everdeen's part. So, you know, basically tells her mom, okay then, do whatever you have to do. Katniss promises Prim that she'll win despite all the doubt she feels. After all, there'll be kids from wealthier districts where being a tribute is a big honor and who've trained their whole lives for the games. Then a peacekeeper comes in and tells them that it's time to leave. Uh, Katniss's next visitor is someone unexpected, uh, Mr. Malark. This is obviously surprising since in a couple weeks, uh, she and his son will be trying to kill each other. But she and uh, Mr. Malark do sort of know each other, um... She and Gail trade with him when his wife isn't around, and Prim always puts cheese aside for him. In exchange, he gives her a generous amount of bread. That's a, another reason some people subscribe to the theory that, you know, she's secretly his daughter, but whatever. And during his visit, he also gives Katniss cookies, which is something she can never afford to have. And they sit in silence after Katniss thanks him. 
Right before he leaves, Mr. Malark promises to keep an eye on Prim to make sure that she doesn't starve. Which is really sweet and gives Katniss hope that, you know, people, since people genuinely love Prim, that maybe through that genero- through people's generosity, Prim can make it. So Katniss's next visitor is Madge. She gives Katniss the pin she was wearing and asks if she'll wear it in the arena as her district token. Katniss agrees. Madge puts it on her dress and then gives her a kiss on the cheek and leaves. And this makes Katniss realize, hmm, maybe Madge and I really were friends after all. Yes, you were, Katniss. I could have told you that. Anyway, um, her last visitor is, of course, Gale. They immediately embrace. Uh, Gale then tells her that, you know, when she's in the arena, she has to make sure she gets a bow to... And, you know, make one if she has to. So there's usually wood available so that so tributes can make a fire because there was one year where the games had been deemed boring since it took place in a tundra and with almost no ability to make a fire, a lot of tributes just froze to death. So, you know, very boring, bloodless deaths that capital audience did not approve. Uh, Gail then tells her uh what he thinks is what he thinks is comforting by saying that you know the games are basically just hunting and she's the best hunter he knows i mean like logistically it's the same idea but there's a major difference between hunting animals and a person uh once again we see the difference between katniss and gale and we're only like on the third chapter like because katniss grasps the horror and like feels the like feels that of like you know she'll have to kill someone a person whereas gail on the other hand seems to have no problem removing the emotions that comes with killing someone by saying like well it's just hunting i mean then again gail's not the one going into the arena but whatever um either way shut up gail you're not the one going into a death arena uh then the peacekeepers come to take gail away katniss shouts at him you know telling him not to let her family starve and the last words uh, Gail says to her is, Katniss, remember I... Then he's cut off by the door shutting. Like, I think most of the fandom agrees that Gail was going to say, I love you. And just like that, Gail's chance at having a relationship with Katniss is... Is lost. Misses opportunity. Door slammed in the face. So they're driven to the train station in a car. And it's Katniss's first time ever being in one, since she usually just walks everywhere. And Katniss was right about there being cameras since there are multiple reporters with cameras giving close-ups on on their faces. Katniss keeps her face blank of emotions. Uh, Peta, on the other hand, has clearly been crying, like you can tell just by looking at him. And Katniss wonders if this is part of Peta's strategy to appear weak in order to later trick people in the arena. Uh, Katniss mentions that the strategy worked out for a victor a few years ago named Joanna Mason. So, first official mention of her in this series. And Katniss is a bit puzzled as to why Peta may be trying to use this plan since he doesn't, like, fit the profile of someone who could be weak in the arena because he's a baker's son. He looks, like, physically strong and healthy. And I just love how Katniss just assumes that everyone is like her, always in survival mode, thinking of the best way to stay one step ahead of everyone, wondering what everyone else could be doing. But but no, Katniss, he's just sad. Um, they get on the train and they're eventually like out of sight at the station and they're on their way to the capital. Side note, it's also mentioned that this train can like go on average 250 miles per hour. Uh, just useless little piece of trivia for you and it'll take them less than a day to get to the capital and then Katniss tells us a bit of of the history she's taught in school (sighs) so the capital was built on a place once called the Rockies which we know is Colorado Um, if I remember correctly this detail was also mentioned in Ballad anyway District 12 is in the region known as the as Appalachia as Appalachia, which is near Pennsylvania, and 12 uh, miners have to dig uh, so deep because their ancestors used to mine there. Uh, most of Katniss's education revolves around coal since most of District 12's kids will obviously grow up to be coal miners. Uh, they do get a weekly lecture on history, but most of it is on how, you know, they owe the capital for their generosity or whatever. And, the, I mean, the saying does go that history is written by the winners. And Katniss is sure that there are plenty that, you know, 
they're not being told but since she doesn't have time to really dwell on that and because like knowing history won't help her feed her family and this is like this is a small detail but it brings up a really interesting point because you know a common thing i always hear most often on social media is like how important it is to be an informed citizen and while i do agree with that having knowledge is important knowing your history is important However, it's also important not to judge people, especially like the ordinary working class people for not being history experts, uh, giving Katniss shit for not making an effort to know more about the real history feels very, uh, victim blamey. And like she said, her primary goal is to keep her family alive and she's only like just able to do that and they're still better off than other families. She doesn't have the time or the energy to study history or politics so yeah uh before dinner uh katniss like goes to the room she's assigned which has its own private bathroom fancy um katniss takes her first shower and no i don't mean like she never bathed i mean like she never had access to a shower before at home they boil water to take a bath then uh when she changes for dinner she remembers the pin that's still attached to her dress she's been wearing and she realizes it's a Mockingjay pin. By the way, I had a Mockingjay pin. Uh, got it before the first movie came out. But now, I have no idea where it is. Um, and it low-key bothers me. Because I'm doing multiple podcast episodes about the Hunger Games series. And I can't find my gosh darn Mockingjay pin. The very symbol of this whole franchise. Anyway, so um, Katniss gives us the history of the Mockingjays. We... Blah, 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 Jabberjay's failed capital experiment during the rebellion, released in the wild, mated with local mockingbirds to create mockingjays. We know we've been over this in ballad, and I don't feel like talking about it much more here again. Um, although, new piece of information that we do get is that Kenneth's father was fond of mockingjays. They always fell silent to listen to him sing because his voice was just that good. Much like his alleged grandmother, Maud Ivory, perhaps? Uh, Katniss describes her father's voice as high and clear and so filled with life it made you want to laugh and cry at the same time. Again, a lot like Lucy Gray in the Covey. Now, I think one of the saddest things about losing her dad is that after he died, Katniss didn't continue practicing music, which I completely understand is a trauma response and very valid, but it's so sad because... Like Lucy Gray said, like something on the lines of like music can heal people and, you know, sometimes they need it just as much as food. And I can attest to this, like singing helps me like in in a lot of similar ways that laughing can. Like just, you know, boost my serotonin levels. Anyway, uh, Katniss appreciates having the pin because it does remind her of her father and it's comforting to have a piece of him with her. Katniss joins Effie and Peeta at the dinner table. Hamish is still nowhere to be found. Peeta says that he's taking a nap, although very good chance he's getting more drunk. And Katniss naturally stuffs herself with the food that is served since she's never had food this good before. And the best thing you can do before the Hunger Games is put on a few pounds. Effie comments about how Katniss and Peeta have good manners since they know how to use a fork and knife. Katniss explains that the tributes from the previous year were two kids from the seam who'd never had enough to eat a day in their lives. So I think it can be excused for them not prioritizing learning table manners. So in response to Effie's rude comment, Katniss eats uh, with her hands for the rest of the meal and wipes her hands on the tablecloth. So <laughs> good for you, Katniss. Uh, once the meal is over, both Katniss and Peeta are struggling to keep their food down since they're not used to eating food that rich. But Katniss figures that if she can, you know, eat Greasy Say's food, which sometimes includes tree bark, apparently, uh, she can keep the capital food down. So they go into another compartment and watch the reaping recap, and a few stick out to Katniss. One being a boy from District 2, who we know to be Kato. A uh, fox-faced girl from Five, whose name we don't officially learn in the book, but we get her nickname Foxface. But I think I've heard, like, either on, like, Hunger Games Wiki or something that her name might be Finch. Either way, it's never said in this book. But 
And Katniss also notes a boy from 10 with a crippled foot, not even a name for him. We never learn a name for him. And of course, Rue, the 12-year-old from District 11. Uh, Katniss compares her to Prim since they're similar in size and demeanor, but uh, difference being no one volunteers for Rue, which is so sad. And the last thing they watch is their own reaping. Uh, Katniss notes that there had been a clear desperation in her voice when she volunteered for Prim, like she was afraid no one would hear her. Also, side note, the capital continues to dehumanize the districts with the when the commenters call like the three finger salute like backward custom. But you know, can be charming, but ultimately backwards. Uh, then they watch the recap of Haymitch falling off the stage and Katniss and Peta laugh a bit. Effie reminds them that when they're in the arena, Hamish will be their lifeline since he will control when they get their sponsor gifts. And then on cue, Hamish comes in in all his glory and he ends the chapter by vomiting and falling down in the mess. So with that pleasant image in your head, we've come to the end of the episode. Yay! <laughs> uh, next week, uh, we'll be talking about chapters four to six and... Don't forget to, you know, follow, subscribe so you get notified for future episodes, especially when I make bonus episodes. Um, you can obviously follow on Instagram at bookishbabbles underscore podcast. And you can email me with any thoughts you have on the podcast or upcoming chapters or even past chapters or theories you have. And that email is at bookishbabbles1618 at gmail.com. It'll be in the show notes. Anyway, uh, thank you, thank you guys so much uh, for listening. I hope you have a great day slash night whenever you're listening, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.